0: And welcome to Traditional Bowhunter Magazine's Campfire Chat Podcast. This episode is the second conversation aboard The Outer Limits, a charter hunting and fishing vessel run by Homer Ocean Charters in Homer, Alaska. Guests include TJ, Carrie, Rourke Brown, Kevin Barr, Brian Burkhart, and Jim Eckhal. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Campfire Chat.
1: Coming to you live from Port Chatham here in the Outer Limits is the podcast number two of Traditional Bull Hunter Magazine's Trip on Homerocean Ocean Charters, sponsored by TBM, Homerocean Ocean Charters, and Kuyu.
2: So tonight I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing where the conversation goes. So I want to start with the idea of quote trophy hunting. Good, bad, ugly. I
3: kind of subscribe to theory that TJ uses, I'm a trophy hunter till the first legal animal. It's in range at the right angle
1: down. Absolutely. I agree. That's why I'd never kill a big elk because rip- the first thing that comes in is toast. I just, I like the meat. I like to enjoy that. But, uh, you know, trophy hunting is it's, it's gotten a bad name. We're all, we're all trophy hunters in one aspect. Everybody wants to kill something big, but then again, for a lot of us, it's just the thrill of the hunt and the, the animal really doesn't matter in the, at the end of the day. Unlike some organizations and some people who just demand that they have the opportunity or demand that an outfitter guarantees them a animal bigger than anybody else. And I think that's where we get a bad name as hunters is because trophy hunting has been usurped by the rich and abused by TV personalities and other people who promote all this stuff. Like you need this to go kill the biggest deer or the biggest that or whatever it is. And that's not what hunting is all about. Uh, I think we're all inside we're kind of trophy hunters but then again as I said before any animal taken with a bow is a trophy and that's that's a personal thing I think for all of us sitting here.
4: Well trophy is uh, is should be more about the memory I think it's not a you know if you shoot a really large animal it just walks out and uh, Opening morning, it's there. There's no challenge to it, and it just happens. You get a great big animal. That's that's great. That's it could be a, a trophy, but uh, uh, a trophy should be you know if you if it's something you put on your wall, it should it should bring up memories to where it's uh, you remember the experience, the stock, the the whole hunt. Uh, and mean that's that's what is about. It's, it's about the experience. It's not about the size of the animal exactly and
0: that's exactly it. there. people come over to my house and they'll be looking at some of my mounts or especially whitetails and they're like well that one's not too big but there's a story behind that deer and what how it what happened or who may have been with me or
1: that made it really unique well you know i've had a lot of people come in and say you have all these trophies you know it's like and i've, I've had my when you were much younger one of your friends came in and she hyperventilated remember in my office in uh on uh-huh. Bashon with all the dead animals because oh, oh, she couldn't stand to be there. And the thing is, is that, yeah, there are trophies, but you know what? I can tell you every animal that's mounted in my house, my office, I can tell you exactly what happened, where I was at. That animal lives forever right. in my mind because, and I can look at it and I can come back like my mountain goat. One of the most fantastic hunts I ever had every experience you can imagine being scared to death, being lonely, happy, exhilarated, Everything you can imagine happened on this one hunt. I and mean, Every time I see that goat, when I come down the stairs out of my home office, I remember everything about that hunt. So every animal, every rack that I have, I know exactly where it came from, and that's I know it. the history. So that animal didn't die in vain. Not only did I eat it, but it's part of me. It's what I remember in life.
5: I think that's the one thing we have in common is when I sit in my den and I look at a bear or I look at a moose, it takes me right back to that hunt. And... You know, I don't know, um, shots pretty nice animals, but it's not about the size. It's about the experience, to Rick's point. And it's just being able to reflect on the animal and everything that went into taking that animal, That that's pretty important.
2: Kevin is pointing to his shirt. Why don't you explain your shirt My to shirt us? My shirt
3: says, experiences are greater than things. Because everybody's got things. And at the age that most of us are getting to be, Carrie's exception. We got plenty of things. so It's the memories that count. Just like here, eating some of the fish we caught, we're seeing beautiful scenery, home-roaching charters, and that's an experience I'll have forever. After the last halibut fillet
1: is long mm. gone, I'll still remember this week. You know, a lot of people, we were the same way. All of us have been. Well, it took me 60 years to gather all this crap that now I have to get rid of because <laughs> exactly. I realize that... Tangible items don't mean anything to me. Your car, your house, really don't mean anything. I'd rather spend my money buying experiences, uh, memories, because those last. And I think if people get past the whole idea of, of owning, like you say, things, tangible items, and and look at what we're doing right now is that the experience of us this the memories that we're gathering here, the photographs and all of this will last the rest of our lives. And I think those are more important than buying things because you know, it's just stuff when it comes down the to stuff.
2: It. it is the things that of doing these experiences that both of us have wanted to do. And that's the things that we want to be able to experience. And so it's not necessarily the things themselves. It's the ability to, for the experience.
1: And that's, that's correct.
2: Yeah. And so that's, You know, we always strive for that. We're still a young, growing family, and so being able to do those things and have the experience and things like that.
1: But that comes with time. Oh, yeah. And that's what people don't, there's a lot of people, this is what we get into with the, a lot of the people today that are getting into bow hunting is that they think that they can buy success. They think that they can buy happiness, and they're told that that's what it is. You buy this and all that. You can be this. You can do that. You can kill this animal and be somebody, and that's not what it's about. Time spent. I had a conversation along those lines. I had to go
3: to a bow hunting preservation symposium, something, something, at the Pope and Young uh, Museum in Chatfield, Minnesota. Yes. And there was like 100 people there. And eventually, we broke out into groups, and I was there representing PBS. There was other people re- representing like small local clubs, state organizations, what have you. And so we had to break out in these little sessions. Well, I was there for PBS. Fred Asbell was there for Compton. Glenn Heisey was there for Pope and Young. And they were talking, you know, they said, well, we don't really need to discuss that. There's only three of us. We're all kind of on the same wavelength, so no big deal. And I said, well, one thing about the record book thing is you guys have made it. You know, speaking of Pope and Young, you guys have made it to where somebody's deer of a lifetime doesn't mean nothing because there's 5,000 of them in your book. So if I shot a 125-inch whitetail, and they go, oh, I can't believe you shot one that small That might be the only one I ever get. So that kind of trophy mentality is lost on me. As long as it's made out of meat, and I get a shot at
4: it, I'm happy. Part of the trophy, you know, (laughs) we're talking about harvesting animals and uh, you know not so much about the size of the animal but uh, the actual experience of the hunt but uh, a huge part of it is is the relationships and the friendships you build that's that's uh, a true life trophy and know tj and i hunted 25 plus years ago and 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 people harvest animals, but I don't remember the animals we harvested. But I remember the friendships we built and the, the lifetime relationships. And that, you know, that's that's part of the whole trophy is just uh, meeting people and experiencing, uh, you know, God's great creation together and, and uh, building relationships and making memories. That's that's what it's all about. That's a that's a true trophy.
2: So then my next question is, why do you guys have taxidermy in your house? Like, why do you mount the things that are part, even if they might not be, quote-unquote, highest-scores trophy animals? Because that might be something that people actually question. Brian? Well, I'll
5: let uh, Kevin answer that, because I always have the highest-score animal <laughs> <I> Brian <has. laughs> No, but it gets back to what I said earlier. You you look at an animal, and you know I shot a wolf with a longbow, and you know very unique trophy in quotes, and it was just that experience, and it's just a special opportunity that was presented, and took advantage of it, and just was fortunate. But you know, or another moose, you know that that uh, charged me, and you you remember that whole experience, and so. It, again, it's not about necessarily the score of the animal. For me, it's definitely not that it's about the experience you had with that animal and, um, and it's just special, uh, to me, you know, for the kids that are out there that are dreaming about going on, going to Alaska and going on a big hunt, I mean, you can do it. You know, you just, you make it a priority and you will make it happen. And then the more opportunities you have in the field. Things will happen. You know, the the more time you spend in the field, and the more adventures you have, things will happen. And you can't buy those memories. So, I mean, I would just encourage anyone listening to
4: this, just make it happen. It's a photo album. You know, it's uh, the photos are on your walls, just like uh, you know, a picture, or artwork. It is artwork. But uh, you know, how many people put together photo albums, but then they don't pull them off the shelf and look at them where. Where when your photos are on your walls, you know, you, you remember those experiences and it's, you know, they're vivid. Do you remember the whole, the whole hunt, the, the whole experience, the adventure, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not about the bragging about the animal, it's a photo album.
0: And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people come to my house, and I have all my mounts in a separate room now, and I have a door between it. Lot people can come to my house. They wouldn't even know, really. I mean, I have one or two that are in my living room. They have a bear rug or something like that, but most people don't even know what's in there. They have no idea because it's, it's my stuff, and it's like you say, it's memories. And Are they all trophy animals? To me, they are, yeah. I don't care how big they are, but it brings back special memory. I've got certain <laughs> tails that are racks that are giant that those deer aren't mounted because however it maybe went down the hunt, whatever, not that they're any less of a trophy than the other ones, but something different, you know, may have happened down the hunt. They say, Well, I'm gonna get this deer mounted or this bear mounted or do something. And you can sit there and just look at everything like T J you said and everything you look at brings you back to that moment. You remember everything. Every little detail.
1: You know, it's funny you talk about that is that I wanted to be able to hunt every species of North American deer, and um, it got down to where it happened. You know, I was down to the last one. The last one was a cow's deer, and so I flew to Mexico with some friends down there, and everyone's sitting in tree stands, and I'm stalking. So I'm stalking, like, for a couple days, three days. I don't, get a, you know, I don't even get close to anything, and then all of a sudden, here comes this little fork and horn up the side of this hill, and I'm excited. <laughs> you know, I said, this is great. <laughs> Cause I'm on the ground and I'm laying down my back and it came down. I was feeding about 10 or 15 yards. From me. I sat up on, went sideways like this and I shot and the thing you know, double lung went down and I'm, I was so thrilled. I got home and I said, I'll probably never do this again. I had it mounted a little fork and horn cows sure. mounted with the rest of mine, all five of my species. And in my office, I started and stare at it. And to me, I even went back and shot a big one later on, but it was, that one meant a lot to me because of the way I did it. And, uh, just to shoot it on the ground at a foreign country. No idea how to hunt them, um, but just you know, created the opportunity, and it was such a special hunt. And it's in my office today.
2: Don't you have a uh, spike elk mount too from your first elk?
1: Uh, just a, yeah, it's my first elk I killed is a spike elk, but it's not a mount. It's just a it's, it's a European, European mount, half yeah. European. And that also sets in my stairway and going up and down my office because that happened It was the first elk i ever killed and i shot it with a you know recurve wood arrows back in sometime in the early early 80s and um, it was a very special animal and i still look at that and i can tell you everything about it right now there's a ski resort built where i shot him it's a, there's a run going right through that area so it kind of ruined it so it's very special to me i'm approaching the age where i don't really
3: need to get anything mounted i'm not saying i won't so I see, you know, in Illinois, they have this white-tailed deer classic and you can go in and there's hundreds and hundreds of deer racks and after five minutes, they all look the same. Mm. And those people are just like out for recognition, which mine, like Brian said, it brings back memories. And, uh, you know, people come to my house and they're like, oh, what's that thing? You know, that's oh, a caribou and that's a bear, yada, yada. But it doesn't mean anything to them. It, it only means something to me. And, you know, a few more years... You know, down the road when I can't do it anymore or I'm dead and gone, know my family's not going to want this stuff because it doesn't mean that much to them. And my best friend, his, his uh, dad passed away, and he was a big rifle hunter. He had some huge mule deer racks and antelope and what have you. When they went over to divide up his stuff, him and his two brothers were like, I don't want that stuff. I didn't shoot it. So it doesn't mean anything except for to the person who shot it.
2: And that's when you end up seeing a lot of uh, old taxidermy being donated to certain organizations, even uh, companies and stores. It'll be in a sports bar or
3: rummage sale or Mm -hmm. a dumpster fireplace. But I'll
5: tell you a a trophy experience and this was, I grew up shooting, you know, bare magnum recurves. And then I I got an itch for getting a longbow and I called Dick Robertson and I said, yeah, I wanted to get a longbow, so he built me a sixty two inch mystical mm-hmm. longbow. And I was in the upper Peninsula of uh, Michigan, and I was just stalking. There's a really light mist. And it' was kind of like a light rain. So I was talking my way back to camp. and then what I found out, you know, all of a sudden i'm I'm walking and I just caught a flicker and I saw a tail. And this was a doe feeding, and I snuck within twenty five yards. And then ended up shooting it. And I remember I had fur tracers on the, on the knock end of my arrow. And I remember the arrow just going and double lunging that deer. And that was a very special trophy. And so to me, it's, it's more the the experiences, a trophy, more than the animal, if that makes any sense.
2: It makes sense to me, yeah. of course. <laughs> it makes
5: sense like to
1: all I of said, us it's been, it's been usurped by people. The definition of trophy has changed, but not in our minds
2: no and it's more my generation and younger that I've noticed that there's a lot of who has the biggest elk deer anything like that they're going for size of antlers not body size where I'm looking I see meat but that's also how I was brought up, and that's how you guys probably brought up your children as well, if they're going to be hunting or anything like that. But from what we're seeing on a lot of social media pages and even on some YouTube channels, it's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the trophy. This is going to be the biggest whatever out there. But that doesn't mean anything except for it's a number and you're a random name in uh, a book somewhere, which is great for them. It's a I mean, it's a fundraiser for them. Yeah, and right. I, I can't... I, can't diminish that from them at all and say, oh, well, just because you have the largest score, that's amazing for them. That doesn't make them any better than anyone else, right? Well, so, when you look
5: at the TV shows and that, it's about selling products.
3: Yes. Yeah. You know, in, in that, I mean. I
0: couldn't have done it without my ozone.
3: It was on Hickster, or whatever. whatever. Oh. So like, yeah. forget the wind, just hunt.
0: <laughs> and I'm not saying every t- television show that's out there, outdoor hunting shows like this. But the vast majority, no respect for the animals. No. Right?
3: There's
2: some, but not enough.
0: No respect at all. We have a mutual PBS friend who lives
3: in Iowa, and he says there's a celebrity couple that hunt down the road from him. And he says, I, I know whenever one of them shot something, especially the wife, because there's a whole line of traffic coming down his dead-end road, and they're out there scouring the hillsides for her deer because she can't find it. Which, I mean, I know that happens. It's happened to me, but... You know, they all want to be part of the program. Oh, look at me. I helped so-and-so recover a deer.
2: But that's not in the show.
3: That's not in the show. Mm-mm. No, but it's
0: usually the shot, and then five minutes later, they're posing with a trophy. Well, that's the thing. I said that the other day. We were just in general conversation. I said, if some of these guys are such great hunters on these shows, come to Michigan or go to Wisconsin or Pennsylvania where there's plenty of big, giant deer, but the pressure is so high on those deer. They're extremely smart. First off, because they're white tails, those guys are such good hunters. Go to one of those states and bake your TV show of you killing one of those on public land. You're not going; they're not going to do it. They're going to go out of business. They're going to; they won't have a TV program. I'm glad I don't get any of those channels on my
3: TV. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: kinda kind of leads into Kevin, what you and I were talking about um, either yesterday or the day before about wounded animals or not being able to find them, and that then turns a fantastic memory into. A
3: terrible memory I uh, I don't know if I'm kind of weird this way but some of the animals I've killed they've yeah I mean it was cool we ate them he got or didn't get mounted and it's you know there's some in the freezer or whatever and you kind of forget about some of them over time but I can guarantee you I remember every animal I've ever lost and I'm not saying it's been a lot but I remember those and it kind of haunts you to strive to do better I mean stuff right. just happens sometimes but I remember those Right. Mm-hmm.
5: Well, I think there's a lot of variables that come into play, and you can't control all the variables. And But what I try to do is, if you have an experience like that, you try to learn from it and say, what could I do different the next time so that doesn't happen again? So I think, you know, it's inevitable, it's going to happen uh, because of all the variables, but you try to basically minimize the, the chances of it happening.
3: Like T.J. said earlier when we were talking about this subject, if a person that is quote-unquote a bow hunter says he's never lost an animal, he's either lying lion or he hasn't shot hardly anything.
1: Mm-hmm. That it could it pretty, pretty much happens. go with all hunters. Yeah. Even gun hunting. And I
5: do think with traditional equipment, that's the beauty of it, is you have to get close so the fact that you have to get close actually minimizes the probability of that happening
2: yes because just because you have a rifle or you have a bow with a sight on it doesn't mean that you're any more accurate of a shot because it's usually farther and farther well the thing is the
5: animal can do things oh
2: animal can do things from 15 yards right they can jump a string yeah
0: and there's nothing wrong with we're not here bashing compound hunters oh, no, or anything, not at as long all. as they have good ethics if they hunt with we'll sites to that. But when you're hunting with archery equipment, it's a close range sport. These guys that are shooting deer at 60, 70, even 100 yards now, mm-hmm. that's not what archery is about. That's not what bow hunting is about.
2: No, but, that's just about shooting.
0: That's shooting. My experience. Right.
2: But I mean, that's also and with the long range The wound factor goes too.
0: up phenomenal. 30 yards. Mm-hmm.
2: But there's also very accurate shooters with rifles at over 100 yards and, and can, with compound shooters.
0: You can be accurate. I'm sorry, but
2: rifles at 1,000 a, a yards and compound shooters at 100 yards. I mean, it's... I depending on how how much you practice and things like that. Uh, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. I don't know. There's been a lot of controversy on the table in the last year or two and probably longer than that. I'm pretty sure this has been a conversation for years of what type of hunting is going, quote, to produce the most wounded animals? Because that's been on the table a couple of times. And like, how do you defend that?
4: As a transporter, outfitter, whatever you want to call me, it, it, what we see and what we'd like to see is, is uh, you know, we care about the game. That's how we make our living. We we don't want to waste game. We don't want, want a bad too. reputation. And we... We like people to hunt within their ability and if you can shoot a traditional bow 20 yards then maybe you shouldn't take 30 yard shots I I have compound hunters that shoot 80 and 90 yards and they are extremely accurate at and they consistently kill animals and they're confident at it and that that's okay, but if you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, stick within your abilities. My judgment as a hunter has always been, you know, am I 100% confident that I can kill this animal cleanly with this shot? And if I can't, I don't take the shot. And, and it doesn't always work out. You know, you have things happen, but you don't put yourself in a wounding situation from the get-go because you... Don't stalk closer or get, you know, it, it's... You're not gambling. It's ethics, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it, you, it's about hunting. It's not about throwing it's lead like or bait. arrows. Yeah, it's, it's, like the, it's
2: called fishing, not catching, just yeah. like it's called hunting, not killing.
4: Take the shot you're so comfortable with and pass on the ones you, you know, aren't. It's, you still experience yeah. the hunt and yeah. you got to right mingle with wildlife and and another opportunity can always present
0: itself. And even if it doesn't, then you did still did the right thing knowing that the odds were not in my favor to take this animal clean, harvest it clean, whatever you want to call. It. So it was better to let it walk.
2: But I also know. think that's part of the joy of traditional hunting is that you do have to get close. But you have that ability to say, yes, I could take the shot or no, there's something in the way. I'm out of my range. It's But you still are closer to that animal than most other styles of
3: hunting. And we had a guy at work that was always bragging about somebody buddy of his that was shooting all these big bucks. He was hunting with a compound and he won the big buck contest locally in Peoria. He shot this deer at 50 yards out of a tree stand. And I'm like, that doesn't make you a good hunter. That makes you a good shot. But you get within five yards of that deer. Now I'm
1: impressed. Yeah. But he's like, oh, it's the only chance I had. Well, you didn't really have a chance then. You just launched one. I'd like to state too that there's a lot of people that should not hunt with traditional equipment.
2: That's something that Brian had mentioned too. Because if, you yeah, if you're not confident,
3: yeah, don't do it. Don't by do it. All means, don't I it. feel like it's me. <laughs> we all have those days.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, a lot of them go out there and they decide they want to shoot a traditional weapon. They go out and wound a bunch of animals, and then they start stating that. Well, I'm sure that more traditional people wound animals because they base it on their own issues. Yeah yeah and it's not like the majority of people i know we don't just go flinging arrows and we know what we can do um it's this is something it's not like other weapons where you can just shoot it every now and then say okay i'm all dialed in forget about the hunting season it's an everyday deal it's a full lifetime to stay active and and to shoot as much as you can to stay accurate and competent sure of yourself
4: if you really have to have that meat in the freezer Go harvest it with a rifle and Smoke then it. fill your yeah. freezer and then uh, right. do your ethical hunting with a bow afterward, but don't push. Exactly. Don't push the envelope there yeah. just to, say just that you hunt it. with a
0: traditional bow. I have a good friend of mine that's like that. He has a left, right eye dominant issue going on and he just tried and tried and he just couldn't shoot his traditional bow any longer. And he went to a compound bow because he goes, I know I couldn't be proficient in the field Respect. trying to shoot an animal with a traditional bow. I cannot do it. That's yeah. respect yeah so I give I give right. a
5: person that
0: admits that a lot of respect yeah.
2: and there's a lot of people that go from traditional to compound for multiple reasons but yes in the end it comes down to accuracy and, and confidence and competency in your ability to do
0: well, I know and Brian Process. said this before, and all of us have said this. As long as you are hunting with whatever's legal and you have good ethics, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: I've said the same thing, too. I'm like, I don't care what people hunt with, as long as it's ethically. We're all in the same boat. But,
5: Carrie, I would say what we're seeing now is a big trend towards converting from compounds to traditional equipment. We've seen and a I big think, influx of that. Yeah, too. and I think it's people that just want that. Next challenge.
2: Well, because it's it's similar to rifle hunting. It's like yeah, you're sighted in, we're good, and you're accurate, you're accurate, and it's just like, okay, let's try a different challenge. They yeah. go to, to archery, they get into a compound, and they get extremely proficient with that, and then they just kind of get it, it, piddles out, and they want to do something different, more challenging, okay, and then the next the step enjoyment. is. People, right, like, the the people yeah. like
5: the challenge. People like the challenge. Do.
0: Yeah. It's the so challenge.
2: People will get stressed out with the challenge
0: too. Well, yeah. And you know, the thing is with <laughs> traditional archery, unless you're buying like a factory made bow, but most people are buying a custom made bow and it's a work of art. It's everyone's unique to itself versus a machined riser on a compound. It's just a work, it's a yeah. piece of equipment. So now you get it's more personable. This bow was built for you, and you know, I mean, it, it just well, all starts going off from the there. Rack
2: too, but it's still it's, right. But it's still a one a kind
0: of But right,
5: exactly. well, what is types. the allure of traditional bow hunting? I mean, it's a pretty small group. Mm-hmm. If you take the you know world population, the the amount of traditional bow hunters is very small, and so the fact that you're doing something that a fragment of the population does is to me intriguing.
2: Yeah, you know, as long as you do it well. That's yeah. great. It's also intimidating because of the fact that it is it's almost like the highest of the high for But
5: why challenge. do people climb Mount Everest?
2: Because it's there.
5: Because it's there is part of it, but how many people actually do it?
2: A very small very fraction. Small percent, yeah.
1: It's not supposed to be easy. No.
2: No, it gives the animals a little we, bit more we, of a chance this, too. What
1: we do with it what we do is a challenge and it's uh it's not small species, it's not for everybody,
4: and success doesn't always mean killing something I think just absolutely. Real, yeah. just uh, absolutely not experiencing the hunt and uh, everybody wants to get to the top of Everest that climbs it, but uh you know the uh, yeah. conditions don't allow but uh yeah. right. going out and doing it and saying, hey, I, I've climbed that I, you know, did my best and uh, the weather socked in or whatever. That's and there's, there's all kinds of kudos for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
5: But I've had a bull moose at 10 yards behind a willow brush. And I knew I had that bull. And then, you know, he bit, it was a straight on shot. I wasn't going to take no. it and he ended up getting away and I didn't have the shot and I didn't take it. But that experience, you don't have to kill something. That experience makes it fun. I saw that bull 500 yards away with a gun. I could have killed it multiple times, yeah. ended up 10 yards away with it. Just staring me down and without a shot with the fear that I might be bulldozed over, yeah. but I mean, yeah. that's the experience that makes it exciting.
0: Kind of on the same lines as that a couple of years ago, I kept seeing these two great Fox and they would play and roll around. So I took the video camera and mounted the tree with me in my tree stand. Cause I'd see them almost every time I hunted there. Well, I was sitting there and um, I'm just getting towards the evening waiting for him because they must've had a den close by and I wanted to film him. All of a sudden I look to my left and here's a buck walking at me. So I turned the video camera on and I go, if this buck comes in range, I'm going to shoot him. It's a nice buck know. So he got about 20, 30 yards out and all of a sudden he just locked up. He doesn't know I'm there and his ears went back and I realized he's staring past my tree stand. I look to my right and there's another buck. He's got his ears back. I know what's going to happen. They're getting ready to fight. They're going to fight. So I hang my bow up and I get the video camera and I film these two bucks and they go ahead in front of my tree stand and they fight. And I get the whole fight, everything knocked, dragged down, fight, they're everywhere. And they run off opposite directions. One's still standing there and it gets all done and they walk away. And I was like, wow, that was great. I showed a few people, well, why didn't you shoot one? I go, why Why would I? I would never experience that, you know, and just. That was a great hunt. You know, that was the best hunt of the year, and I didn't even shoot anything. But you just experience that, you know. That's, that's a trophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it is. Yeah, all
2: those mental is. things. But then you also have the footage that you can exactly. go back and like, I was watching this, this was awesome. This wasn't just something you found on YouTube, it's something right. that you lived.
0: I never even crossed my mind to shoot one of the bucks when I seen yes. what was going to happen. I said, This, and it was literally 12 to 15 yards in front of my stand, they went at it. So I was, that's just unique, you know.
2: I want to see that video. <laughs> that sounds interesting. I'll show
0: you. Some of my oh. favorite hunts are ones
3: that I didn't kill anything on, but it's just the adventure aspect and the people I was with, and we had a great time and experienced the outdoors. And like, why ruin it by having to pack meat for? A yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that transitions into the uh, I don't know, most memorable or exhilarating and something we mentioned like the most life-threatening hunts that you guys have been on so let's just kind of go around and i guess raise your hand if you would like to go first
3: i would say my most exhilarating hunting adventure was standing behind my son chase and watching him draw and shoot a spanish goat on molokai i was so proud that he did that and, and i didn't even kill nothing on that whole trip but that was just i relive it over and over all the time and he's doing other things now he doesn't hunt anymore but we both still have that memory so that's, that's great. one of my most memorable bow hunts
5: I, I would say for me I've, I've had a number and, it, and they tend to be associated with Alaska but in terms of life-threatening I was on the side of a mountain glass a river valley and saw this caribou running and it was a it was a nice bull, so I went after it, just peeled down the mountain, and I had to cross the river and there's this peninsula that these caribou had I'd seen previous caribou travel, so I had a pretty good idea of where this caribou was going. so I went down the mountain, went across the river, and I was taking off my waders and the caribou had beat me it, it ran in front of me, and I was taking off my waders, and all of a sudden I just heard this. Whoa! And the smack in the water, and I turn around, here's a grizzly 15 yards away. And it just happened so fast. And I had bear spray. I stood up and turned around, and the bear was going in the other direction. And at the end of the day, I figured out, okay, the grizzly was after the caribou. And I got in the middle of that, and that's what happened. And basically, nobody got hurt, and that's a good thing. But in terms of having a grizzly that close, it was uh, pretty exciting. And then I'd say another one was when I was moose hunting in 2016 and I stalked this moose and got within 30 yards and then it was with a cow and it ended up charging me. I'd seen this bull chase off four other moose and basically it charged me at 30 yards, it looked like a bulldozer coming at me. It stopped at 20 yards. I ended up shooting it and then it charged me again and at 10 yards. I stopped and then ran off. But, you know, those are two exciting hunts
4: that uh, that I'll never forget. The grizzly sounds terrifying. Bull moose coming at you. That's, that's people yeah. don't realize when the,
1: they're worked up <laughs> and the snot's flying in yeah.
4: there. They are, are in pretty a frenzy. looks uh, yeah, like the gal we were HD talking to or... the
2: other day. It's, it was just ran into the side of their truck while they were driving. Just Jacked up the car, and you had that happen to you too, right?
4: I stopped at a cul-de-sac in park and had a moose on my truck. And <laughs> it, it, yeah, everybody lives. It happens. So There's a lot I've of never damage. Had a moose, but <laughs> I've had one hit me. Well, it's, but a little off. Topic, but kind of on the same subject. You know, we were talking about trophies and their memorable experiences, and most of us have trophies on our walls. And like Jim said, they're, you know, when you pass away, and you know, nobody's that interested in them. They're, they're memories to you. They're your personal trophies. But but I brought up yesterday, and I take pictures of your trophies and and make a photo album of them, and. You know your your kids hopefully love you and they they made memories with you and, and they want to remember you by something so you know write a little blurb about each trophy or mm-hmm. you know even even if it's just video footage that you took or some still pictures you know put a little album together that these were my memories that were important to me the the things I things remember that and the, you. maybe the it was a hunt with your kid uh, that. That Kevin mentioned or those type of things and put an album together and maybe your your wall hanger trophies go away But you've got a memory to leave to your kids and something that doesn't take their whole house up you, you can uh, Put yeah. on a shelf and uh, re- a remember dad <laughs> with and, uh, and things that were important to him So I, I think that's a, that's a good point a valuable thing because you have like a whole Second house dedicated to your stuff. Don't you Jim? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you showed me that
2: video.
0: Yeah. That's a lot
2: of things, a lot of animals.
0: Yeah. I've been very fortunate yeah. to run a lot of places and take a lot of really unique animals. So I think my favorite hunt was probably, uh, I'd say my mountain goat hunt. I drew a tag in Utah and, um, what's neat about that is I was able to get into the, with a group of goats two, two and a half days before the season opened. And I stayed with that group of goats from sun up till sundown. And I was there for opening morning with the same group of goats. Kind of had the billy picked out I'd like to have taken. Ended up shooting that billy within an hour and a half of the opening day of that goat season. I had numerous photos of him for two days straight and video. And then ended up taking him. And, uh, you know, that's pretty neat when you can spend that much time with the animal before actually harvesting it. So that was, that that's probably tower. my most memorable hunt, you know, plus all the work that went into it and, you know, logistics and everyone that's hunted mountain goats knows it's pretty Go- tough.
4: Goats are special. They yeah. say yeah. easy hunts when only one guy dies on the trip and yep. if you're hunting solo, that's not, yep. a, not, that's
0: a, not good a good odds. Yeah. And <laughs> I had, you know, prepared and TJ knows you take the whole season off when you get a once in a lifetime tag or mm. do what you have to do. And I prepared for that. And hour and a half into it I was done, but you know, I was very fortunate in that aspect. But uh that that's even though it was a short lived hunt, I guess leading up to it was makes it a great memory. Sometimes that happens that way. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: All right, TJ, you're
1: Well, I think they're all memorable. Least. Um I've had myriad hunts that stand out as the best. They've all been good. My mountain goat,
2: I shouldn't say which one was your best. Well, mountain goat stands out because
1: as you well know, most people use most, most people, most hunters, when you go into their trophy rooms, you'll see two, three or four sheep, you'll see one mountain goat and to a man or woman, they say that one was enough. They don't want to go back because it was the hardest hunt they ever did. For me, it was, it took me combined about almost 20 something days to to kill a goat by myself. But I was alone 12 miles back in for two weeks at a time with nobody else around except for grouse and owls and talking to them after a few days. And, but every, every experience you can imagine, um, happy, sad, elated, uh, I mean, there, everything you can imagine is what I went through. And, and toward the end, I got used to being alone at first. It was kind of hard, but toward the end it's like, after I killed that goat and I was very scary I had to rappel down a cliff that I couldn't get off and I didn't know if I had enough rope to make it to the bottom and I didn't I had to drop about eight nine feet and that rope's still there someplace in central Washington <laughs> back since 95. Uh that was pretty scary at that point but it ended up killing a goat it still took two days of cross-country backpacking to get out of there and that was probably the hardest hunt I've ever done and the most memorable and it was very important but you want to talk about the most dangerous I've had two run-ins with elephants in africa over the course of the 10 years 10 summers i spent there and um, one of them was it charged and i had to hide underneath a bunch of fallen trees and it was a cow and she kept me at bay for about three or four hours i had no ph he was all, he ran off the other direction and so finally she left i was able to get out and go down to the river and end up finding a road and work my way back to camp a few hours later but the second time was, I was after the final pig of a. I <laughs> wanted to shoot five different pigs on three different continents. And I was down to a bush pig. And I'd been in Zimbabwe a couple of times. I'd never even seen one. I saw a pair of one down in the riverine. That was about it. But you had to go down, you had to hunt them on the ground in the riverine where the elephants lived. And the you way to get through there is follow their trails. When they go through, they bulldoze highways. But you can't step five foot off without being in the thicket. And so I was down there with a my pH and I get down there and, and we're red last dark. I had to go from our camp, which was probably about a good hour and a half drive to get down into the, the Savi river to get into the, the riverine. And I stalked. I've been watching these, you know, spots of, I'd seen some down there and also this one present itself. And I was able to sneak up and make the shot and it didn't go 30 yards and piled up. Well then the next thing I know is we have a herd of elephants on us and we were put up inside of a tree and they came and they were bumping the tree, trying to knock us out. And finally, you know, yelled and screamed and my PH was throwing bullets and food and everything on top of these elephants. Finally they got off a little bit and he ran down and got in the truck and took off. This is like about nine o'clock at night. I didn't see him until one in the morning. I'm still in that tree with these elephants down there pushing on the tree and banging it and uh, everyone else is back in camp. And he finally picked me up, we drove in there and that kind of got him out of the way. We went and picked up the bush pig and went back to camp, but, Several years before that, uh, some eco tourist guy from Germany was over there and um, went out to take pictures and said he would be fine. And they didn't find him. And what they ever found was like about a two foot deep, four foot round hole in the ground with his clothes and mashed up body. There Where was he stomped, they stomped him to death. And his broken glasses were sitting on the side. So elephants are to me. They scare me more than lions and, and leopards in Africa, even even mambas and things like that. But that was probably the hairiest night I spent out in the in the jungle. Stayed in tree till 1 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the with all kinds of things crawling around underneath you and the elephants pushing on your tree trying to knock you out of it. I mean, I remember that I couldn't get that high and I could see there, you know, they, they could just come up and smell my feet and try to grab it and you have to kick the trunk. Uh, it was pretty wild. <laughs>
5: But you bring up a good point about some of the emotions you go through when you're on an adventure, whether it be backcountry. Yeah, you go through extremes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go through, you know, everything you you feel like, you know, the joy of solitude, the sorrow of solitude, the thrill of the chase. Basically, if you're fortunate to harvest an animal or basically the euphoria of finally getting it done, the guilt of being away from your family i mean you go through this range of emotions when you're on these adventures and Mm -hmm. you know so those are some of the emotions that have gone through me on these adventures and i'd like to hear from you guys what are some of the emotions
0: going back to that goat hunt that's how it was with me i guess because it's ingrained into your head first off you're not going to kill one with a traditional bow because so few people have ever done that and just everything leading up to that. And then when it happened, plus I was using my dad's ball. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. You
5: know,
0: it's overwhelming when it's all said and done and you did it and your, everything comes together and it's almost like a release of every emotion at once. It's like, Oh my God, I can't it, believe it, came, did together, this. it yeah. came together and it, it came to fruition. And wow. You know,
1: yeah, I remember that, uh, the night before I left on that, a friend of mine made me. A special osage longbow for that hunt, and i also felt a little bit of responsibility to you know to bless the bow and, and have it go through and like you say it's there's always this range of emotions and i think probably the best term is the roar of silence
0: yeah when silence is noisy yeah. right and there's so many remote places we've all hunted that that it is it's deafening because where we normally hunt for where you live where not that far from lots a road of, or lots of background noise. There's always background noise, but like coming to Alaska or going to northern Canada or, or even you know, there's other places in the lower forty eight. It gets remote and it is, it's I remember the first time
3: I flew into the Brooks Range and got dropped off on a lake. And when that drone of that bush plane finally disappeared <laughs> as after it left and then you just couldn't hear anything, I thought, Man, I went deaf or something. Yeah and
0: you can't hear
3: any, there's nothing, you know. No. There's some places I deer on, I can hear people's phones ringing, I can hear the TV sets blaring, their leaf blowers and all that. But that's one, another reason to come to Alaska. It's a little
4: bit sobering about that last drone of the yeah. Super Cub that dropped you off yeah. when they're going you're out now. of the sight and it's, that's, it's here we are and we're, you know, it's like, good weather, bad weather, whatever the case may be, we're, we're out here and, and, and oh, the,
1: the silence you know, is definitely
4: the solitude is is yeah you definitely think about things that are important in your life and gives you a lot of reflection clarity and reflection yeah. and and then there's you know at, at times like like when uh, Brian and Monty are hanging together you you know you when you experience those things with somebody else you know sleeping in a little pup tent with somebody for a week there and having bears crawling around outside you you know there, there's some bonding going on there. Well, that, there's uh, not that much bonding going yeah, on just for the record.
1: but <laughs> <laughs> Some of that is irreplaceable. <laughs> it's even harder when you're alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It definitely gets lonely. I, I got a lot of respect for those guys that can just get dropped off from somewhere in the middle of nowhere and float their way back to a little bush town. That I can't do it. I know I can't do some it. Some of I that you way.
4: wonder how much is about the hunt and how much is about the solitude, you know, yeah. Their, their hunting is the reason, but uh some of it is just a a Meditation or, or mental exercise. I think that uh, you know I'm going to clear my my mind and and focus here, and uh, it's a it's a good healthy cleansing thing that uh, I think helps all of us look at look inward and uh, see what we're all about, and for better or for worse.
1: It's I, good to do that every now and again.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, and I will say this
5: the time I feel closest to God oh, yeah. is when I'm on the mountain. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Yeah, we were talking about that. And I'm you know, church. This is our church.
5: Yeah, you know, I this don't know it? what it is about being. I, I think there's an aspect of when you're in the vastness and you feel how small you are, there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but there is something to that. Yeah.
4: It's God's cathedral. It's uh, not... the uh, Invoke religion into our podcast here, but uh, you know, if you look around at where we're sitting right now, it's you know, this didn't just happen. We made that
3: statement before you know, you'd be up high somewhere and looking out over this vast landscape and thinking, you know, I'm not an overly religious person, but how could you not believe in God if you're looking at this stuff? It's impossible.
5: Yeah, there's There's a connection,
3: like Rourke said, it didn't just happen after the big bang or whatever. <laughs>
2: it's really nice that the clouds have let up so we can actually see it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well I think that is going to conclude our second podcast. So thank you everybody.
3: Thank you. Yep. Have thank a good you. Night. Good night.
0: Thanks, Gary. We hope you enjoyed this Campfire Chat podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next one and visit our website www.tradbow.com for great articles, tips, and lots more of traditional bowhunter magazines.